Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Coming off a decent weekend. SantaCon, some Urban Meyer fallout, which I really want to spend like the entire first part of the podcast on. And, and a good week of, of NFL. I think favorites went 12-1. and 12-1 and one this week. I think the Falcons were the only underdog to win or the closing line underdog to win. And we got another good game tonight here on Monday night. We're recording this at 2.48 on Monday. Let's talk fucking Urban Meyer, dude. This was a sensational Saturday. Tom Pelissero of NFL Media. Of NFL Media. That is a point that needs to be hammered home. Like, the NFL, the league, media, pushing out an absolute Saturday morning bombshell. How's your breakfast, Urban? Bang. On just... Tensions, I think the title of the article, Tensions Boiling Over Between Coach Urban Meyer, Jaguars Player, Staff, Amid Too Intense Start, right? And some of the bullets on this thing are absurd. Marvin Jones, one of the veterans there, became so angry with Meyer's public and private criticism that he left the facility until other staff members convinced him to come back and had a heated argument with Meyer during practice. During a staff meeting, Meyer delivered a biting message that he's the winner. He's a winner. This sounds fucking incredible. He, Meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers, according to several people informed of the contents of the meeting, challenging each coach individually to explain when they've ever won and forcing them to defend their resumes. Mike, I, I won't read further. React to that because that is the most absurd shit I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, I have been an Urban Meyer defender. I'm not. I mean, I, we, no know, we know. We know. You know, I've been an Urban Meyer defender. Uh, You've this been is to his bar defense. in Columbus. Uh, I have not actually. I need to go. I, I heard it's you fantastic. You don't. But I will say the biggest sort of red flag should have been when he did hire. I don't want to call his staff losers, but when he put together a staff, I thought his biggest strength at the college collegiate level, and I think we've seen that bear out with where all his assistants have gone, has been. His ability to hire quality offensive and defensive minds, like on to coordinate his offensive defense. When he hired, you know, what he hired in Jacksonville with Joe Collins, defensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel as offense coordinator, it, they were not great hires. They were, you know, objectively pretty meh hires in terms of their track record in the NFL. And so, obviously, Urban Meyer boiling over, calling them losers, whatever, like. What do you mean? I think Whatever. I'm, I'm it's saying, ridiculous. I'm saying it's beyond the pale at this point for Meyer. I, I believe he is self sabotaging to try to get himself out of Jacksonville. I think he just doesn't want to. But be he there wasn't self. So here's the thing. But I, I do I, think that he he put himself in this scenario when this is who he hired. Like that is that's on you if you're calling your assistants losers. You're the fucking one that put the staff together. In my opinion, his entire tenure has been the I think you should leave hot dog meme where the guy's dressed up in the hot dog suit and he's like, who on earth could be responsible yeah, for this? We're all trying to it's find like, He's like calls this meeting, calls all the people he hired losers. It's like, yeah. you hired us. Yeah. And now you're asking them to defend resumes? Buddy, you approved the resumes. You know the resumes. That – in my opinion, it is absurd and also has to be so deflating, right? Like these coaches are like trying to do everything to win football games too, dude. They're not out there just like, yeah, we're losers. And then you get in there and they're like, yeah. why are you a loser? <laughs> like I, can't, I, wanted, I wish I was there for that meeting. Other thing I wanted to add from the article that I thought was interesting, I think it's big for the, the fantasy football community. Fantasy football fans are big on James Robinson, right? The rookie, undrafted rookie, had an awesome year last year. Urban comes along and he has not been playing as much as people expect. Then, so Meyer had public statements that he didn't bench James Robinson. And then it comes out that he did bench, bench James Robinson in a thir the 37-7 loss to the Rams after an early fumble. And he didn't put Robinson back in until Trevor Lawrence asked why Trevor, James Robinson wasn't in. And then he put him back in. That Coupled with the other personnel thing that I find hilarious, or the, the, the players' playing time thing I find hilarious, Demetrius Harvey, who I think is a reporter for the Jacksonville Jaguars for Sports Illustrated, he, Urban Meyer today was asked about Andre Sisco, the rookie out of Syracuse, a big, we liked him uh, coming out uh, of Syracuse, about him playing more, the yeah. safety. He said, Cisco is playing more, I believe. I don't have his numbers in front of me. Cisco didn't play a snap yesterday. Like, there is, there is a loss of control. You want to point out losers, man. I mean, this, is, this has been an unmitigated nightmare, and we can make fun of them all, all, all day long. My, my thing is here, there are some reports. I think Peter King said they're committed to maybe staying with him through 2022. I just don't see how it happens. I don't see yeah. physically how he survives the next two weeks, let alone an offseason at the helm, given just – 
what he's done to this coaching staff, what how he's lost the respect of Marvin Jones, probably Trevor Lawrence and other players here. This has been I, I don't think people even expected to be this worse. It's been way worse than people's expectations. I think that's the biggest thing. The the most damning of all of those sort of issues that were reported is the James Robinson thing to me. Because mm-hmm. he comes out after the game and says it wasn't his call. Literally lying like Literally coming out and lying yeah, that it wasn't his call after the game and that it was the running back coach who made that decision. That, to me, is probably, the, like I said, the most damning because you are not only – you're alienating literally everybody there and you're passing the buck of responsibility to everyone else but yourself for a decision. And that's you know, part and parcel of bad leadership. That's how you lose everyone quickly, not – you know calling them losers whatever is I, I keep saying calling them losers whatever but like that like things can get heated in a meeting that is showing your true colors when you are not willing to take responsibility for a decision like that uh, i did have to laugh though uh, richard johnson uh, at on twitter at rj underscore rights found a great uh clip from when urban was on uh, big noon kick when he was when he was on fox last year that were his criteria to examine for struggling teams this is his criteria they were one trust issues Two, dysfunctional environment, and three, selfishness. Urban may need to revisit his criteria to examine that for is, struggling teams. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely phenomenal. And then you have – so you remember that report, right? Urban uh, – it was Vrabel who, like, pinned Urban against a wall or something and then – or whatever it was. And then you saw, obviously, on – The post-game handshake. The post-game handshake was – Electric. As – it was as defeating as you could see any anything on television. It was uh, it was as sad as him eating pizza in the hallway. Oh my god! It was Man. that level of just I, I don't know why. Like his body language is a tro- an atrocity. The content he's sur- provided us has been sensational. I will say. I will say he has not sold a short there. He yeah. has provided yeah. life to this podcast and to other people's Twitter as things to continue to progress. Let's get off of Urban, though. Urban stinks. Let's get to this preview or this review here. Want to talk each and every NFL game in Week 14, starting with Thursday night, which was originally an absolute snore. We were at – it was me and some PFF guys at one of the wing places here um, in Cincy, and we watched the first half. We're like, we're going home. Like, this is a disaster. Steelers, it was one of the most embarrassing, like, Steelers games I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were giving – I think Dalvin Cook in the first half had, like, over 120 yards rushing on, like, six carries or some crazy-ass shit. Steelers end up clawing back what looked like was going to be a late collapse by the Minnesota Vikings that put their fans in dismay. Vikings do end up holding out, cover the three. They were favored by three. They win 36-28. The bigger takeaway for me here is Minnesota is still – wildly flawed despite being somewhat in the playoff race in the nfc they have i believe the bears monday night on the road maybe you consider that a win rams at home a loss packers on the road a loss and then bears at home again they probably need to steal one of the rams or packers games i don't know if they do and if that case they're probably on the outside looking in and as for the steelers we've said this probably since week two I mean, this, they need to blow this thing up. Big Ben's not playing well. This defense looks worse every single week. Uh, a, a rough showing for the Steelers, even though they did claw back. It was, though, that fourth quarter was vintage Big Ben. He looked like, I mean, that was turn back the clock a little bit. The last throw was an absolute, like, you could not put that any better. That was not a big window. Obviously, great play by Harrison Smith to break that one up. But, yeah, the, if they could have gotten that guy for any sort of stretches the rest of the season, they'd sure they'd be in the playoff mix. They would probably be in the playoffs pretty comfortably, but sadly, like that guy only comes out few and far between at this point with big Ben nearing 40. Um, I don't know about blow this up. I still think it's a good roster, Um, but the quarterback position cannot be what it was this year. They have to do something differently, whatever it is. We've obviously talked about that a lot. But on the flip side of the ball, though, I, I will say some encouraging things for the Vikings. I thought Garrett Bradbury played his best football that we've seen from him, um, shit, maybe ever. And he's come back since his bench, since he got benched and well, came back from COVID. Didn't get back in the starting lineup right away. I thought the last couple of weeks has been the best he's played football, which obviously encouraging to see. They could use any help along that offensive line uh, with some injuries there. But I still think both these teams, you see that they are, I mean, this game kind of, showed both of them have some serious flaws yeah i mean big ben i think is among the lowest graded quarterbacks in football and i think the he is one of the five lowest graded quarterbacks for rookies in big ben like it has been that bad 
for Big Ben. I think in my latest mock draft, which we're going to look at on Wednesday, I have them taking Pittsburgh's finest, Kenny Pickett. About I think at 16, that's where they're currently projected to pick. I think that's they should be looking quarterback in this class. If they're not picking inside the top 10, which I don't know if they will be, taking a flyer on one of these guys where no one can really figure out who the real QB1 is while you try and reset the position, I think would be advantageous for this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Getting cheaper at the position and probably better, right? Even even Kenny Pickett as a rookie is going to, I think, have probably better output than Big Ben is having right now. Falcons, Panthers, next game here. This was the only game, one of the few games where I actually liked a dog. And it was the only dog that won. Yeah. Falcons win 29-21 on the road. In my notes here, I like calling out what I specifically write in my notes. Matt Rule, dot, dot, dot. What the, fuck, what the hell is going on? I don't understand why he, he was – he benched Cam Newton, then he put him back in, and then he bent uh, – it, it was a very collegiate handling of the quarterback position. Like that happens a lot in college where it's like, let's flip yeah, yeah, willy-nilly, yeah, yeah. go back and forth. That does not happen in the NFL. It's It's – the razor, the margins are so razor thin. The guy that is the starter needs all these reps to just even be in the building. Yeah, to flip them back and forth is just. There's and a reason. Kinda, there's a reason it hasn't worked. There's not a strong track record of it. At the end and of he kind of explained it after, right? He was like, "Those two turnovers that they had early can't happen. Like it just can't happen." So they threw PJ Walker in. But that, that's not the solution, right? Like, I think damaging people's confidence when you have an objectively worse quarterback on the bench makes no sense to me. Uh, me and Trevor Sycamore were watching that game together, and you know that like I'm back meme or video of it was like cam, cam. Newton getting back off the bench when he's like ready to play again i'm back that was uh pretty great i do think i saw a tweet i think maybe even from brad spielberger uh a cap analyst uh here at pff the joe brady firing joe brady looks better by the second here i was gonna say i can't believe it wasn't joe brady's yeah yeah fault, right? that, that, that joe brady wow. looks better by the second as matt rule i mean he even said matt rule said that he'll continue to play Cam Newton and P.J. Walker and maybe even yeah, involve Sam Darnold down the stretch. They're still going to rotate QBs, you said. That feels absurd to me. This Panthers team's toast. Yes, I think you could pretty safely say that. And, and I mean, anytime you have an in-season coordinator fire, and now Eric Geiger could probably speak to this better than I can with his vast knowledge of uh, in-season coaching changes, but that's like that's usually the telltale sign of a sinking ship. That, yeah. That's like throwing one bucket of water off of a ship, a ship that has a hole in the bottom. Like there's just, <laughs> that thing's going to go down. Yeah, yeah. It is not the in-season coordinator hire is not the thing that ends up galvanizing a team and turning them around. Um, one thing here, some Panthers fans were commenting on my mock draft and I said, I'll, I'll, we'll go over the full thing on Wednesday, but they were like, we have one pick in the top 100 and you're going to take an edge defender. I think I gave him Karloftis. It's because I didn't, you know, they were picking eight, currently projected to pick eight. I don't love any of the quarterbacks at eight, but you, they put themselves in this situation when they traded for Darnold, right? Darnold's yeah. fifth year option is guaranteed. Yeah. It's like, why do you have one pick in the top 100? You traded Let's for Sam, Sam Darnold <laughs> and then guaranteed the fifth year option. Like, you are in this boat now. And yeah. there's a lot of me that says, screw it. Like, take a quarterback. It's the most valuable position, even if you don't like any of them inside the top 10. And maybe Carolina does do that. But it would just show – it would just be a – it would just continue to add just like malpractice and how this franchise has been run of late, right? Like a lot of the decisions they've made, the Teddy Bridgewater decision, to flip to the Darnold decision, passing on some of these quarterbacks just makes no sense. And um, they are now reaping the fucking rewards, reaping what you sow <laughs> in, uh, in Carolina right how, now. how insane, though, now is this seventh wild card race in the NFC? It's you insane. Got five teams at six and seven. Five teams. And, that's and they seventh, all stay. the seventh. And it's like everyone – and their mother is thinking, why do we expand to seven playoff teams at this point? Yes, yes. Everyone's just like, there. We don't. Do we need to see this Falcons team go up against? I don't know. Uh, Packers? The Packers yeah. in Lambeau. We really don't. We like you know that really is not a game that needs to be played for us to prove who's the best team in the NFL. I made some of these comments on the the NFL live show. I stepped in for Eric Eager. Eager was at the Army Navy game, which I heard was an absolute riot. But. You know, the the further you expand the playoffs, and you've even said this about the college football playoff, the less it does to actually prove who the best team in the NFL is, yeah. right? Like when you open up this randomness and you open up more games, yeah. it's going to lead to some of these like Cinderella stories and where a Washington football team sneaks in and upsets a Green Bay because, you know, lightning strikes in a bottle or whatever that expression is. I don't want Washington in the playoffs. I don't want the Vikings. I don't want the Eagles. I don't want the Falcons or the Saints. All those teams are 6-7. and seven. But one of them's going to get in, yeah. and i got to watch this team compete against Green Bay and potentially cost Green Bay, who is objectively a better football team, a chance at the big dance. I, I, I'm upset at it as much as you are, and uh, I, I'm excited to watch how it falls out, though. I think that's, uh, that's why you play the game, right? I will watch every single playoff game. <laughs> yeah, like I'll watch every second. Um, 
Before we get into Ravens Browns, working from home, I'm, I got to shout out my guy's X chair. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair with versatile comfort and extraordinary design. X chair fits any space, high performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes even when I'm not working, Mike, I sit in my X chair. I sneak into the fucking office and sit in my X chair to get into that feeling. Just to sit there and feel it. See, I don't know how you brought yours to the office. I keep mine under wraps. I might take it home. I might take it home. Go to xchairtailgate.com now, and that's the letter X chair, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E.com, or call 1-844-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairtailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, it's as easy as checking out the link in the description below. This game... Next here, Ravens-Browns. Browns favored by two and a half. I think we both backed the Browns. Ravens with the sneakiest, Insane. dirtiest yeah. of backdoor covers with Tyler Huntley in the game. Lamar Jackson left with an ankle injury, and I'm not sure if he'll even suit up in the next game. But Browns still win 24-22, but the Ravens claw back and nearly win this game. Disaster that Cleveland let them go in. But I will say Cleveland was in control Baker had a lot of clean pockets, and that Ravens secondary is down horrendous. Jimmy Smith didn't play in this game. Marlon Humphrey on the injured reserve. They're in a really bad spot on the back end, so much that you talk about the NFC playoff race, right, and it's muddy. Ravens are currently slotted at number four at eight and five. Just took an L to the Browns. Browns are seven and six, and they have down the stretch here, Raiders at home, dub. Packers on the road will be tough. Steelers on the road will still be tough, but should be a win. And then the Bengals at home, which I think at home, with how the Bengals have been playing of late, maybe that's a win too. They could go 3-1 and one down the stretch here. And they're still plus 175 to win the division. Yeah. Ravens are still the favorite to win the division. I think it's because they have, obviously, the game ahead. But still, I like the Browns as a good bet to win that division and get into the postseason, even if I don't buy them necessarily as deep playoff contenders. Yeah, this one... The fact that they let the Ravens back in, though, was a tad worrisome. But this was more like they they controlled it. It kind of just seemed fluky towards the end, letting them back. But obviously, no Lamar Jackson, him missing any time. And like we said, with the Ravens scheduled down the stretch, they could be the odd man out there in the AFC North. It could be the Browns and Bengals getting into the playoffs. And the Ravens uh, may not even make it to 10 wins yeah. at this point. Uh, like I said, especially if Lamar has to miss any reasonable amount of time. But it did the stupid two-point conversion talk after the game, which we'll get to a little bit later. But if people are, the, people, the fact that people are still debating whether to go for a two early, which is what the Ravens did, mm-hmm. to know that they had it, and that was they literally played out the situation of why you go for two early, to know that you're going to be down more than one score, to then get the onside kick, which was an insane onside kick that Andy Janovich yeah. was – just out to lunch on. Let's hit him in the, hit him <laughs> in the shoulder, and obviously that not get any first down after that. But that is the part and parcel of why you do what you do in the two point convert in the when you're down uh, nine and you go for two. Down nine, go for two, and people are still debating whether or not they made the right call. Is just insane. That video that's circling. Oh, that'll be that'll be. We'll get to that a little bit later. We got the video. Oh, we have the video. Yeah, oh my the- gosh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we have. That. It's one of the grosser things I think on you know spreading on the internet right now. It, I, I, can I mention this? One, I love the expression "out to lunch." I feel like it always makes me laugh. Two, you've dropped part and parcel twice on this show. Have I? I don't think we can do that, Mike. We can't I'm not even do- sure. I, I couldn't even tell you when I said it the first you time. You said it somehow. In the, it caught my – because I liked it first, right? I liked it in the Urban Meyer conversation. I think part and parcel of leadership. Remember you said that's part and parcel of leadership, and <laughs> then you just dropped it again. I'm like, all right, Mike, you need to fucking reel it in. I don't know what books you're reading lately, but you need to reel it in. Seahawks at Texans is next on our list here. I put it in my notes before this game. I need to stop betting on the Texans. Or go to therapy. I stopped betting on the Texans. I took Seahawks and took Seahawks big, and they win big. 33-13. They covered the 7.5 number. Texans actively tanking by not starting Tyrod Taylor and starting Davis Mills. He's one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks in all the NFL. I came away from this game with two things. One, I feel terrible for Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is a very talented receiver, still young, still, in my opinion, 
at least in somewhat of the prime of his career and getting absolutely destroyed by the Houston Texans and the decisions they've made. Two, our San Diego State Aztecs rose up in this one. Rashad Penny had a, Rashad Penny had a career day for the Seattle Seahawks in addition to obviously some really pretty throws from Russell Wilson. Shot Penny was balling, actually. He looked very good. And, and obviously, like... He's back. We're back. He I'm was, to do the Cam Newton thing every He time. was never... I mean, so he was a first-round pick. Obviously, n- never should have been a first-round pick, like, in retrospect. But he's always been a talented dude, just dealt with a lot of injuries. I believe his career yards per attempt is still, like, over five. Like, yeah. Every time he's gotten opportunities, he's actually played well, but has been injured a lot throughout his career. And, and the Brandon Cooks thing... Of all the hilarious thing about Brandon Cooks, or not hilarious, but almost tragic thing about Brandon Cooks, is he got moved around so much over the course of his career that finally he said last year when he got traded to the Texans, he's like, I, I don't want to get traded anymore. Like, to, to the Texans, this is it. I want to be here. And then all the shit happens with the yeah. Texans, and all of a sudden he's stuck on this sinking ship. 843 yards this year. He's been very he's been I mean, good. He's been he is good. The exact same guy he's always been, but stuck in this shit show. But that was where he planted his flag and said, no more. No more trading me. Dude's only 28 years old. One of the most underrated careers. Uh, last thing here, though, and it's the reason how I know no one watches Texans games is because <laughs> Russell Wilson made almost the identical throw to Justin Herbert yesterday. Everyone's going to talk about it, and you've probably seen it. The Justin Herbert bomb probably was the throw of the year. The throw was absolutely insane that he's getting, almost getting hit as he throws it, 63 yards through the air. Go watch Russell Wilson. I'll tweet it out maybe at some point today. Russell sure. Wilson, damn near identical in terms of breaks out to the pocket to his right, over 60 yards in the air, hits Tyler Lockett at the goal line for a touchdown. And I don't think I saw it once yesterday. Tweet it out. No one's, no, no no. One, because no one watches it. No one watches these games. That is, unfortunately, Texans football in the year 2021. The proverbial, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, doesn't make a sound, is if anyone makes a good play in a Texans game, does anyone Do see watch? it? Yeah. Um, Brandon Cooks is only 28 years old. Opened his career three years in New Orleans, year in New England, two years in Los Angeles, and now two years in Houston. He's had over a thousand yards receiving in one, two, three, four, five, and he probably get it here. He'll have it in six of his like eight seasons in the NFL. And he's done it with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different teams in his career. I hope he goes somewhere where he can actually shine because I think Brandon Cooks is damn good. Um, Raiders Chiefs. I put in all caps here. I called it. I called it on this podcast you, and I called it on the NFL show. You were more intelligent than I. It, I don't more, think it was more intelligent. I, think I, was just, I mean, I, I, you knew that a tiger doesn't change his stripes. Yeah. I thought a tiger could. I thought no. Gus Bradley could maybe be a little flexible. Or not even just maybe be a little flexible. Like at least coach his guys up to a degree in something other than single high defenses. But, but here's the thing. Here's but the, no, here's I'm the saying, but I'm saying they, they did. They yeah. tried. But they just again, you can't. Atari can't change stripes. It really can't. And I said on this podcast and on the NFL Live Show, which you don't watch, we do it every single week on YouTube. I was like, this is going to be an absolute blowout. And some people wanted to bet Raiders plus nine, Raiders plus nine and a half. And I feel bad for those people because they had to watch one of the worst blowouts I think we've ever seen on a Sunday this season. It was horrendous start to finish. Josh Jacobs fumbled like the first play of the game, and from there it was a wrap. Yes. It was legitimately a wrap. From there, now. Tigers can't change his stripes. I think Sam Monson on the NFL on the NFL live show is like, go play more too high looks, Gus Bradley. You know, go go do that. You need yeah. to go do that to stop them. They played it roughly fifty percent of the time. Still and, not close to what like is no enough. still no. It should have been more, right? <laughs> Fuck it. Should, maybe it should have been yeah. more. They allowed when they showed too high pre snap zero point six three EPA per play. Now that number doesn't have a lot of context. It's not as ubiquitous as yards per carry. That is the highest in two high looks in a single game any team has done this season. They were getting toasted. So, And everyone's like, what? Why? why? It doesn't matter. Too high is not the answer. You need to have also the dogs to do it. Like Trayvon Merrick yeah. is a rookie, and then they move Jonathan Abram into the box with linebacker, and they have a guy named Dolan Levitt who plays the other half of the field. And Sam said on the show, he's like, how hard is it to play you know, one half of the field? It's obviously very hard. <laughs> and they had Trayvon Mullen back at corner, but it was the first game back since he got hurt. He was getting toasted by every receiver he out was. there. It was an awful... Awful showing by the Raiders' defense and an awful showing by the Raiders' offense. No one can create separation. Brian Edwards had two receptions for 29 yards. Hunter Renfro was the only thing that looked lifely. Darren Waller missed that game. The Chiefs' defense now ranks second in scoring drive percentage allowed since week five, third in EPA per play. It is a disaster start to finish in this game, and I don't think everyone should have caught it. I think everyone should have saw it coming. So, yeah, I, I regrettably did not. Jonathan Abram, though, 
in two games against the Chiefs this year. <laughs> oh, no. 14 of 14 targets he's allowed. Every single time he's been targeted, he's allowed a completion. 166 yards and a score. It's find the fish defense. And, and Or offense. That Actually, Cleveland Farrell had probably one of his best games. Obviously still a part-time player, though, for them. But that 2019 draft, everyone kind of has always hung their hat on, oh, well, they got Josh Jacobs. They got Josh. Josh Jacobs looks like shit this year. Dude, he looks awful. Kenyon well, Drake is better. Yes, he's comfortably the second-best running back on this team. And the report over the weekend that I saw, he now has nine different kids by eight different, eight different nine different kids by eight women. I didn't see that report. That that does sound rough. Is I'm, absolutely unbelievable. I was like floored. This guy, he's in the uh, Antonio Cromartie range. But I, I Antonio Cromartie only had one mom. No, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't get into the, the those part of their lives. I will say this. Say what but you when want I about, heard that, I was like, this uh, that one may not work out either. That pick. Well, not not. All the only takeaway to have from that is that that's a fucking hard to deal with. <laughs> that is that is that's, very, like that's a, a busy ass. I'm life. saying that's like a stressful that, situation that's a, that's, on the it side. It is hard. Though. I don't care who you are. That is that's hard it's to manage. Man. <laughs> yeah. That is hard to manage, and also be like an elite athlete, like one of the top 32 players at a position, and also manage that. That sounds difficult. Um, I wanted to add something. I tweeted out a stat on the Raiders' offensive line: Brandon Parker and Alex Leatherwood. They were starting right guard and right tackle for the Raiders among all offensive linemen this season, ranked tied for first in pressure rate allowed at 11%. And a lot of Raiders fans have replied or quote tweeted this and have commented on this is not Derek Carr's fault because there's a lot of flack right now. I think Vic Tafer of The Athletic wrote about how maybe it does make sense for a change of scenery for Derek Carr to move on from Derek Carr. I've gone on this soapbox probably a thousand times. Derek Carr is one of the three best players on this football team. The problem is is he is in that tier of quarterback that plays to the level of his supporting cast. And this supporting cast has been nothing better than dog shit for the last 20 years. The one year it was good. Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, Coletio Semele, Rodney Hudson, Donald Penn. They had an offense. They could do it. He was on his way to an MVP and broke his leg on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Like that, that's the problem, right? Like you str- Lightning in a bottle is Derek Carr still on his rookie contract and you built a good offense around him with a capable coach. Now that trying to catch lightning bottle again, now that he's done this second contract is just impossible. I think moving on from him, getting draft picks to benefit him, right, to go to a better supporting cast and then actually reset this roster and start drafting appropriately, that's the way the Raiders should move forward. Not because Derek Carr isn't good, but because this roster will never be good enough to win with Derek Carr. I wouldn't say never be good enough. Or it won't be good anytime soon. I think it'll take two, three yeah. years before this I mean, roster's yeah, good. They burn, they, they they had the chance. They had five first rounders in two years, and none of them have none of them are impact players in that roster. That's that was your window, and you kind of you burnt it. Cage pants. You didn't though. Cage pants is all right. Saints and Jets. <laughs> Saints at Jets. You want to talk about unwatchable football? This Saints Jets game was tough, dude. This was a grind. I'm surprised that people turned it tuned into this game saints end up winning pretty handily but it was a slow start saints win 30 to 9 both offenses looked awful alvin kamara was a bright spot i think tyson hill had a couple highlight plays but if you have any takeaways from this game outside of both these teams think i don't know what to tell you like they both these teams aren't good yeah i mean the takeaway is that zach wilson not only i mean was probably his worst performance all year maybe in my opinion just in terms of like positive takeaways because he just he wasn't making bad decisions. He just couldn't hit an open receiver to save his life. I mean, he bounced a swing screen that had to probably travel about 10 yards and straight, like, out to Braxton Berrios. He put it about seven yards. Yeah. And he bounced another one uh, on the move to just, like, in the flat. Like, he was all over the place from an accuracy perspective. And the confidence, and a lot of that's, confidence i mean the guy we saw at byu who just didn't care about the window that he was thrown to didn't care about uh you know the pressure that he was under he was going to let it rip it, it's not even close i mean the guy's eyes are darting all over the place he is not confident in the pocket and, and obviously that's a big factor in it but when does that change yeah you know, like, like you want to see that get better like he has a lot of reps under his belt at this point to where like I said, I hoped last week or I thought last week could have been sort of a jumping off point because I, I said last week was probably the best he looked all year. But sadly, not to be the case.
Before we get to Jaguars-Titans, another game that I would argue was unwatchable and hard to have takeaways from, if you want to support this podcast, you got to use promo code TAILGATE, that's T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, to get 25% off any PFF subscription. You get access to all of Mike and I's article content. You get access to the grades, the advanced stats, the betting dashboards. If you will follow football religiously, bet, play fantasy football, or care so much about your team that you want to run mock draft simulator and all that stuff pff is the place for you 25 percent off your pff subscription use promo code tailgate also this holiday season is here and because tailgate listeners are the best of all pff podcasts we want to help create a list of what pff should build for you you can email us at contact at pff.com contact at pff.com with answers to these questions we'd really appreciate it what pff feature do you love the most and what do you want the most from PFF in 2022. A little Santa Christmas list to get after. Jaguars-Titans. Titans were favored by 8.5, and this one wasn't even close. I think we both liked Jaguars plus 8.5. No, whatever. I liked the Titans. You, okay. you were I, the one saying that you thought the Jags were going to score 20. Yeah, I, and I said, <laughs> I, I said, I don't think they score over 10. Gosh darn and they it. Didn't they score didn't score a point. This, I, in my notes, another unwatchable game. Trevor Lawrence is by himself. He's having to make... He's having to make personnel decisions on the sideline. <laughs> He's having to come up to Urban like, can we put James Robinson back in? He had six carries in this game. Yeah. James Robinson had six carries in this game. Trevor Lawrence is begging Urban to play the good players. Then my notes close out with this. This needs to stop its abuse at this point. Trevor Lawrence deserves better. The Jags deserve better. A lot of these players deserve better. There is some talent on this team. Josh Allen's talented. The edge defender there. Trevor Lawrence, James Robinson. Marvin Jones, I think, is good. I'm mean, one of the better receivers that's healthy on this team. Like, God, it has been an unmitigated disaster, and it's what we opened the podcast with, and I don't think there is. I mean, like, if you were like, oh, wow, Titans are back, they win 20-0, no. Like, this this team is in, in a shell of itself. Yeah, I mean, they have to clean house. It's just you can be a bad football team, but, like, you can't be a laughingstock in the NFL. They, they are currently. Fair, fair. That, that should be a quote graphic, honestly. And even the Texans, who we said, you know, they, they literally cut themselves. They literally tried to cut and have been cutting their best players. Like, getting rid of their best players ha- are, look more respectable on a weekly basis than the Jaguars. So do the Lions. You know, and, uh, the Lions as well. But the Lions have had some talent, at least, to start the year. But the Jaguars have, like you said, they have talent. It should not be this bad. And it's this bad because of the coaching. And obviously... Trevor Lawrence is not overcoming it in a meaningful way, but like when there's two receivers running into each other and that's the route you're trying to work, what are you what are you gonna do? That's you know, like, on what, the loser assistant head coaches though. Yeah. Or assistant coaches. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's just it should not be no one no team should look like this if they have any semblance of competent coaches. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that first piece. I think you hit the nail on the head um, with you can be a bad football team. But you can't be the laughing stock of the NFL. And Urban Meyer has taken laughing stock to a whole other level, dude. There's a meme coming out every hour on yeah. Urban Meyer, and he's got the Papa John's piece to it. He's always got his hands on his knees. He's grinding on chicks in Columbus. Like, there is a lot. There's a lot here. Whereas Dan Campbell, who's currently projected to – he's coaching a team that's projected to have the number one overall pick, has earned, like, so much buy-in from that Detroit Lions – you know, those yeah. Detroit Lions players, and is, like, legitimately respected in the NFL. All right, Cowboys – at football team. I'm not talking about the Jags anymore on this podcast, yeah. or I might later, but still. Cowboys at football team. Cowboys win 27-20. And what they were originally dominating this game, right? And then football team kind of came back late, almost had a backdoor cover, but Cowboys win 27-20. They were favored by four on the road. I have a confession. Hit it. I don't understand why people root for Taylor Heineke. What do you mean? I don't understand. He is... Daniel Jeremiah on the broadcast I mean, called him fun to watch. D- Big Cat on Barstool. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. The underdog story is great. If Taylor Heineke had a normal name or was a former like top 100 pick, no one would care about him. Now, because he's from Old Dominion and he has a funny name, that we're all like rooting for the football team to get in the playoffs. Sam Monson on the NFL show is like actively rooting for a football team to get in the playoffs to sneak in. It's like, why are we rooting for bad football teams it's exciting. He plays. I mean, okay, so he is a first ballot fun to watch Hall of Famer. Can we put him in? He got fun to watch. He has four, like four games graded over seventy in his career. That, I mean, okay, that he's rooting, not like the roller coaster that people think he is. He's not even Ryan Fitzpatrick level of good. Yeah, I get that. That's all. <laughs> these are all factual points. But like, you root for him because when it is 
the high end plays when that when it is does is does go well, it is objectively fun. Like because it's okay. a roller coaster. All right. And I just feel like the roller coaster doesn't have enough highs for me to like it. Like I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't. I, I, but it's four it's, games it's, graded over seventy in his career, and two came in that like postseason run where Heineke was born. Yeah. But like his two games this year, Andy Dalton was the roller coaster with the Bengals, but the high end was tame. Yeah. You know, like when Heineke makes the high end plays, it's like him dancing around the pocket, yeah, throws yeah. it up to Terry McLaurin with two guys on him. Like there's. There's a excitement that comes along with watching him play football that, you know, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have. Yeah, Even if I Teddy Bridgewater is the better I get it. quarterback. I get it. so it's fun. That's I, I, why. Root for the rejects. No, he's not rejects. I mean, there's, but, no, there, I, there's no real, you know, quote, unquote, upside to this football team, though. Mm-hmm. Like, they are – they're not a make-some-noise team anymore with him at quarterback. No, You know, no, like, they're no, not no. – they're, so not, people are picking they're the not sneaking team to win in. Division. Exactly. They're not sneaking in the playoffs and all of a sudden, you know, catching lightning in a bottle. No, like you said earlier. No, part and parcel. It's just not happening. It's just not happening. But I will say the other side of the football, Cowboys defense is for real when they're at full. One hundred percent. Marcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, that pass rush, it's a monster. They only allowed fourteen points this game. Obviously, they scored seven themselves off that fumble six that Mike Parsons generated. Like this team can actually win with their defense in the playoffs, which shit they might need to because kind of the swept under the rug thing of the past handful of weeks is their offense does not look great. You know, Dak Prescott, ever since returning from that was the calf injury, has not been the guy we saw yeah. prior to that this season. You know, he has not been laying the world on fire. Four turnover-worthy plays in this game, and that pick six was a brutal, brutal pick six. That oh, the brought. one to Cole Holcomb? That yeah. was gross. I mean, it was looked like he was throwing it to, to Cole, Cole Holcomb. Holcomb. <laughs> yeah, it was. So um, that – needs to turn around and we thought hey oh they were back at full strength got the receivers back it's going to look good mm, it, it didn't so. yeah i mean I, I do think that they need to play a lot better when they get to the postseason but it is a win now right i mean they're minus five thousand to win the division they are going to the postseason i think they need to get healthy by then like tony pollard didn't play in this game tyron smith i think got banged up and left this game at some point cowboys need to stay healthy but defensively Micah Parsons, I mean, this team is is rocking on that side of the ball. they got Demarcus Lawrence back. Randy Gregory's playing really well. I, I'm excited about this Cowboys defense, and I think offensively it'll figure itself out as they get healthier. My last note was root for good football teams, and I don't think the football team is one. I think they got to move on from Taylor Ooh. Heineke. If, if, you, if there are football team fans, period, but if there are football team fans rooting for Heineke to be this starter next year, I think you're crazy. I, I mean, you're crazy. Heineke is not – Heineke is – the sixth lowest graded quarterback in the NFL, four games graded over 70 in his career. Objectively, in my opinion, not a guy you hit your wagon to. I think they need to be getting better at the position. They should be one of these destination spots for a Derek Carr, an Aaron Rodgers, a Russell Wilson, if one of these guys does I, get on the loop. I, I feel as if you're arguing against no one at, at this point. No one has well, that Well, I think I have a, just a little vendetta against Sam Monson because Sam Monson is still rooting for this football team and, uh, and Heineke or whatever. And I'm, I'm upset about the, the amount of, like, because, like, you think about – you compare Heineke to, like, Daniel Jones. Like, Daniel Jones makes a mistake and they want him dead. Heineke makes a mistake. It's like, ah, just Heineke. Just Heineke making another mistake. He'll get it figured out. How he's fun like a, was it, though? He's like a clown. Like, like we were, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, let's get on to Lions-Broncos. Like Courtchester. Yeah, Courtchester. Lions-Broncos. I think we both bet Dan Campbell here. And Broncos kind of came in and went, went off. Yeah. Broncos went 38-10. This offensive line, Quinn Miners included. Mm is paving the way for whoever. It could be Melvin Gordon. It could be Javante Williams. This run game looks good. And when that, that's working and you don't have to lean on Teddy to win games, they can actually get into a groove here because this defense is still really good. The secondary, that, that pick by Justin Simmons was awesome. Then he immediately goes to the, um, the area of the field that they marked off for Demarius Thomas and, and kind of respecting his passing, which was obviously super unfortunate. I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, but that freaking stinks. Awful. Justin Simmons doing that and, and, and honoring Demarius Thomas was freaking awesome. I think what the Broncos did for Demarius Thomas overall was awesome, and they came out with a big win. Uh, this was a convincing one as well. Yeah, their offensive line right now is playing some inspired football. Oh, yeah. Lloyd Cushenberry really coming into his own of late. Quinn Miners, we'll talk about him later in the Miners week segment. Barely... But, man, Miners looks – I couldn't believe – I mean, I guess they, I shouldn't say I couldn't believe he wasn't starting earlier, but, like, he looks like – he belongs. I mean, it looks like the guy we kind of build him as. He was a, just outside the top 50 on the PFF draft board, said he's one of the best tier offensive linemen in this class. Fairly 
NFL ready despite coming from D3 looks the part right now and Bobby Massey at right tackle Bears probably wishing they still had him at this point so that offensive line is going to be if they are going to sneak their way into the playoffs it's going to be because of them and the fact that Javante Williams looking like running back one yeah, Javante Williams is awesome. Melvin Gordon is, is running through gaping holes behind that offensive line as well, too, though. And then I added as this note, Jared Goff stinks. Jared Aww. Goff has not played really well this year. Breaking news. I think the only veteran quarterbacks that rank in the bottom six, so there's a bunch of rookies, and that's Jared Goff and Big Ben, and then Taylor Heineke right above them. Those are the three bad QBs in the NFL right now. Javante Williams leads the NFL in broken tackles. Yeah, right. Up. There's, uh, him and Jonathan Taylor are the only two running backs over 50. He is 16th in attempts. Same first on his own team in attempts. And leads the NFL broke tackles. That's incredible. Dude. He's Love a dude. It. Love it. All right. Giants at Chargers. This was uh, a blowout, and it was a blowout spread. Chargers were favored by 10.5 over Mike Glennon and the New York Giants. Another game that was somewhat hard to watch when the Giants had the football, but when Justin Herbert had the football... It was awesome. He had that throw that was very comparable to Russell Wilson. It was still really sick. Um, I'm in on the Chargers as deep postseason contenders. I think I said that in week one, and I'm still backing it. I think in Mm. the AFC, I still see the strength of that conference as New England, Kansas City, Buffalo, and I think Los Angeles is that fourth team for me. I like them as deep postseason contenders. This defense, Joey Bosa was an absolute monster in this game. Joey Bosa turned back on the tape put Solder, Andrew Thomas, whoever was in his path, in an absolute blender, got to the quarterback consistently. They have a lot of talent on the back end as well. Chris Harris Jr. is playing good football for this team. And then when you have Justin Herbert, who is a top-five graded passer this season, making the plays he is now with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler got banged up in this one, but he should come back healthy. This Chargers team is legit, and I think they should be bet on as these potential flirting with. And they they got a huge game this week, right? Chiefs Thursday night. I, yeah, I hate that it's Thursday night because it's kind of you get the early week. Fluky shit always happens on Thursday night. Like I, yeah. you want it to be like a Sunday night game, yeah. like where or you even get Sunday full, four o'clock slate. Hey. But uh, I will say this is like who the Chargers are. This should be. This is what they should be. This game, kind of what we've been billing them as, kind of all year long. Mm-hmm. We've been, I've been saying this is a top three team in the NFC, uh, with legitimately when they are completely healthy, could win the Super Bowl. This is a Super Bowl contender in that conference for cert, for certain and they need to against teams like the giants just look like they are in a different class and that is what this was um you wrote throw of the year for justin herbert and i saw a lot of throw of the year so i went and watched every single 1.5 or higher graded throw and i will say there was one or two other throws that i'll put in contention for it i do think herbert's was objectively better than wilson's even though they were like damn near yeah, identical yeah, yeah. in terms of like attempts but herbert was about to get crushed wilson was not quite as uh, under pressure on as much under heat mm-hmm. but stafford had a throw in week four against the cardinals on a third and 16 over the middle of the it. field where he splits two deep look and has to go over a linebacker about 40 yards on the football field that one was hot and then rogers had one against the lions of course rogers said first one oh, rogers is, <laughs> you know probably one about 58 yards in the air, but it was into a tighter window to Devontae Adams because they had to put it on the sideline. And probably about 58 yards, so probably about five yards shorter than Herbert's. But Herbert's had a bigger window considering he had the middle of the field to work with. So those are your top three throws of the year. Any order you, you want to put them in. get a clip of all of those out. I would love Any to see order that. You, you never put tweet, in, but those are Your Twitter, you need I don't to tweet like put, put that. Put a clip of all three of those back-to-back and say which one's the best throw of the year. You'll get, you'll get 1,000 likes minimum. Right. Um, Possibly. I think Burrow, too, if you couch it with, like, man, this guy doesn't have the arm talent of some of these other guys. There are some throws on Burrow's tape this year. Like, holy shit, like, he shouldn't be making some of these throws. Like, he's got some – he has to make up for not having an absolute rocket mm-hmm. with, you know, where he you – know, anticipation and where he puts the throw. Like, that throw to just uh, Jamar Chase that got them into OT was hot, right where it need to be on the sluggo. Well, let's get to that game. 49ers Bengals. Bengals were favored by a half point originally. I think it closes the 49ers as one and a half point favorites. I highlighted this game as my dump truck of the week in that I thought the 49ers were going to come to Cincinnati and dump truck the Bengals. And they did for the first three quarters. Are you trying to brand dump truck of the week as I something? Am. I am. I'm going to get like a little Tonka truck, like a little toy, and it's going to come out. Or like, I think, so Quinn's doing these cool. Third uh, lower thirds here. I think if he threw a little a little truck, like skated, like a little drove across. Think about it, Quinn. Think about it. Um, 
49ers were up 20 to 6 through the first three quarters. And remember when I was talking about this game, I said the Bengals were going to go in here, run the football a ton on early downs, and then and get blown out. And they did through the first three quarters. The Bengals passed on early downs just 50% of the time in the first three quarters, which would be good if it was a season-long rate for bottom three in the NFL. In the fourth quarter, they passed 84% of the time, actually climbed back into the game, pushed it to OT, and ultimately lose. The reason they lost that game is because of the game plan going in. They can't. They have the number two graded passer in the NFL behind Tom Brady. They have one of the more impressive passing attacks. T. Higgins has been phenomenal this year. Jamar Chase, when he actually catches the football, is phenomenal this year. They have so much going for them when they throw the football. They just don't, and that's why they go down 26, and I think that's ultimately why they lose this game. Obviously, they had a chance in OT, but don't go down to a bad San Francisco 49ers defense just because you're trying to like establish yeah. Joe Mixon on early downs. So I think the thought process in what the Bengals and why they have such a run-heavy attack, like the run-heaviest attack for a team with an elite quarterback in the NFL right now. That just yeah, is a fact. That's that a, they are. They're the, one of the run-heaviest attacks in the NFL, yeah. like, regardless of who the quarterback is. But when you factor in that they have Joe Burrow, it's absurd. And I think the thought process is, hey, Joe Burrow tore his ACL. Our offensive line still meh. Let's protect him. There are so many other better ways to protect your quarterback at this point in time that are known that are not just run the football. Because what that does is, and we've said this a lot, when you have two unsuccessful runs, first and second down, and you're in a third and seven, those are the most dangerous, those are the most high leverage. That's when your quarterback gets hit the most on those third down runs. And so that's kind of like what they've been putting. He, that's why he's taking sacks at a really high rate because when he is under pressure, it's most often on third down, and he's trying to create something out of it, and so he's not just going to dump it. He's not just going to throw it in the dirt. And so he's taking more shots because of it. He gets sacked six times in this game because he is in situations that are high sack yeah. situations. Yeah, yeah. You know, because like, his dropbacks are the situations where you know. Your mom's been in some high sack situations. <laughs> sorry. Not in a while. I haven't done a your mom joke in a while. You owe me one. That one was good. But I will say, <laughs> the, the, then the ending sequence, though, was just comical in terms of going back for a full quarter and a half for the whole fourth quarter for overtime. Joe Burrow has just not met, like not has just been cooking, like mm-hmm. literally the passing offense. The 49ers have no recourse and you get into the red zone and first and second down Joe Mixon carries three carries for seven yards in overtime, only two passes for Joe Burrow and they go for 49 yards. Uh, pretty brutal sequence there. And then obviously the 49ers come back. And they run it once with Debo Samuel on their drive and let Jimmy Garoppolo, objectively a worse quarterback than Joe Burrow, pass six times. You got to, at some point, trust your quarterback to win you games. The Bengals still do not. Brutal. Cost brutal. himself the game. Absolutely brutal. Bengals fans deserve better. Before we get to, we have a couple more games left, and then we got to get out of here. Bills at Bucks and then Bears at Packers before we close with a handful of other segments here. But football fans, I'm sure you love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. With the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on NFL team to score will win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any NFL team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wage required. One per customer restrictions apply to DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But Bills at Bucks. I think we both picked the Bucks. The Bucks got out to three and a half. I think it opened at three. It's, it got out to three and a half, and they covered both. Brashad Perriman on a game-winning mm-hmm. overtime touchdown. Well, busted Cov. Freaking sick game. Awesome game. Yeah. Bills came in late, really surged late. A lot of conversation about how they weren't running the football, and it's why they were trailing. They really started to turn it on late, though. Josh Allen was banged up in this game. I think he did the press conference in a boot. I still felt even as the Bills were coming back, and they pushed in the OT, that Tampa Bay had firm control over this game. Tom Brady was on on fire. The defense was playing well. Like Obviously, down the stretch, they gave up some points. But honestly, I felt Tampa Bay was the better football team start to finish, and they ultimately win this one. Yeah. I, again, you're going to hear a lot about, oh, the Bills didn't pass the football once in the first half. And it's like the Bills, or excuse me, run the football, didn't, didn't hand it off once in the first half. That's who the Bills are. They still scored. 
27 points in regulation against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Like, it's, I, I, get, I get that everyone wants to sort of have balance offensively and that the run game has been so entrenched in how people view uh, winning football games. But when you are bad at running the football, which the Buffalo Bills are bad at running the football. Yes. They, they, they have mid running backs and a poor run blocking offensive line. It does not behoove you to, th- to throw Devin Singletary into Vita Vea five times to get yeah. no yards. It behooves you to give Josh Allen as many reps as he can against one of the best defenses in the NFL, one of the best secondaries, to get to maximize your opportunity there. And, oh, yeah, again, you scored 27 points by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. If it was the running game that they had run the ball 20 times in the first half, didn't get any points, but then all of a sudden the fourth quarter the running game's going off, everyone would have said, Say, see, this is why – you run the football early because it pays dividends in the fourth quarter. Maybe that's why you pass the football early because it pays dividends in the fourth quarter because they went off and scored a bunch of touchdowns in the fourth quarter. No, it's just like you trust your best player to win it when you don't have a good running game. So that is my biggest takeaway from this one uh, is that, again, Buffalo Bills, if you're going to run the football, run it with Josh Allen. You don't need, yeah. You just don't need to necessarily run the football when you don't have the ability to do so at a high level. You don't have to do something purposely inefficient and something that you're not good at just to like establish the run or impose your will. And I think there's a lot of things now in the Bills' offense that is like an extension of the run game, right? Like they do they do a lot of RPOs. And they, like a lot of those were just pulled in the first half, and, and, and they do a lot of screen stuff too. Like a lot of stuff by the line of scrimmage yes. where like you are trying to get easier yards than five and seven step dropbacks, but you're not yeah. specifically hanging the ball off to Devin Singletary and watch Vita Vea eat his lunch. Yeah. Um, last game here, Bears Packers. Oh, one more note on go the box. Go ahead. Go ahead. And it's this cornerbacks. When they're at full strength, they remind me a lot of the Legion, Legion of, Boom. of Boom when they were, in terms of like, they warp the perception of refs because they're so physical, play after play, that you, you, know, you could call a holding, a legal contact, pass interference on like every play. But refs aren't going to do that. Refs aren't just going to go, they, some refs do, but a lot of refs aren't going to want to do that. And I think you saw it towards the end of this game a lot of whistles being swallowed on plays with a lot of contact, whether it's the, some of those Stefan Diggs throws at the end of the game. And that is because of who they are, the Bucks, And that's why they are a dangerous defense in the NFC right now. On to pa- Bears at Packers. Packers were favored at 12 and a half. I think this number got maybe even a little bit further down the stretch. And even though it was a sloppy, gross game, specifically on special teams for the Packers, and they gave up some big, dumb plays on defense too – Packers still covered that number. They win 45-30 in a little bit of a fireworks show. Um, I feel like there was, like, obviously some mental errors in this one that where Green Bay was kind of taking some things off. But I knew this game was over, and you are gonna you know it too, when Robert Quinn did the double check yeah. down thing. You said it on you this show do before. It. You don't mock the belt. Don't you mock the, the belt. belt. <laughs> you mock the belt, you're toast. You mock the belt, and it's over. Um, that, uh, it, this, was a, this one's a hard game. Because I feel like you know the score looks a lot closer than this game was, in my opinion. Yeah, I was gonna say it was twenty-four to fourteen at one point. The Bears were up, and I'm sitting on my couch at home, like not even like pressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think like Eddie Packers fans are really like worried about an upset, even still, because it was. I mean, the the way that the Bears would have won is if they would have kept allowing punt return touchdowns, kick return touchdowns. Like mm-hmm. their special teams were an abject disaster in that game, and honestly, got a little lucky. Because Amari Rodgers let a ball hit off his face mask that the Bears would have recovered. I know. That got negated by a penalty. It was an all-time bad special teams performance from the Packers to even keep this one close. But And then they recovered the onside kick. Yeah. But the Packers' offense, and I will repeat this once again about the Bengals' offense, they need to take a page from what Matt, Mike, Matt LaFleur is doing in Green Bay. They had four starters down their offensive line. Their only starter from – from what should have been their week one starting lineup, is a rookie right guard. And they still put up 45 points. Now it's actually it was 38 because one was a defense score. They still put up 38 points. They still have a ton of easy offense, and they still can move the ball. And Rodgers isn't taking big hits because of chipping your tackles, getting the ball out quickly, swing screens, getting the ball, like, but also still having the ball be in the hands of your best player consistently. Yeah, That is something that the Bengals have to take a page from because – that is how you protect your quarterback when you do not have the offensive line to necessarily 
Pass Protect 101 all the time. We're going to get to the fun to read, fun to watch segment. Quinn has some cool graphics prep for that. Before we do, not going to preview Rams-Cardinals again. I think we both picked Cardinals. I'm buying a Kyler Murray jersey if the Cardinals win two and a half, and I'm joining the Red Sea. And Jalen Ramsey <coughs> and tight end Tyler Higby are out with COVID. Whew. That's yeah. a big hit. I had picked the Rams. That flips my Flipping the Cardinals? Flipping that's, the Cardinals? That's, that's fine. That's Before we get to the fun to reads, make sure you tune into that game. But also, Western and Southern want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with us with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? How about I need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS, very own Chris Collinsworth, to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earned you a chance to win the Ultimate Feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover you catering up to 2500 bucks. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you are watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember... With Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, you had a special plan for these fun to reads and fun to watches. Do you want me to go in order of how you've listed them? Yes, please. Okay. The first one is the discussion that took place on CBS after. Oh, gotcha. This one, so it was someone, so Justin Rousseau, thank you for your work. He posted the clip on CBS of it's like Jim Nance and a handful of guys, boomers. It's not Jim Nance. Not Jim Nance. Sorry. Phil Sims. Phil Sims. Phil Sims and a handful of boomers <laughs> talking about the, the Ravens' decision to go for two down nine. Quinn, you have the clip prepped if you want to run it. Yeah, I want to see the analytics people come up and do the interview after the game. Tell me why you did it. Let me hear that explanation. You know, it changes when you're down two scores. The other team, as you said, Bill, they change their play calling and how they direct the game. So we don't put that into the analytics, yes. I don't think. I don't know. I don't care. We saw the Pittsburgh Steelers do the same thing uh, against the Minnesota Vikings, and it kind of back, you know, uh, caught back, them. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's just – but the last thing, Cleveland's defense, they were all over the quarterback. They got four sacks, hit him a lot, so they made it tough. Once again, Miles Garrett, Jadeveon Clowney, like the first meeting they had, they played very well. You know, but before we leave that point, I would love to see – that's a great idea to have somebody who is in well, charge of the analytics. Yeah. Know, to we, have that conversation afterwards to talk about the other aspects of the game. No, here it is. Here's the whole thing. Well, analytics told me to do it. Yeah. All right, next question. Wow. That's what we see. Yeah, they'll show time. you a spreadsheet and There's say – There's never any explanation of this why, is why I made all that these things that can happen. So Paralysis by analysis. We overanalyze things. It's not that hard. Yeah. There's two things I hate about that clip the most. I think one is Sims just like disinterest in like learning this obvious growing aspect of the game, right? Where people are factoring in data. And like I hate when people refer to analytics like it's just like this computer in the corner that like spits out a number and you have to like obey it. It is all analytics is is studying data to make more informed decisions. I've said this before, but like Throwing on third downs is an analytically backed decision, right? Because throwing gets you more yards, and when you are on third down and you need more yards, you throw, not run, because running doesn't get as many yards. The analytics is not this computer in the corner, right? Like, it is telling you what win, prob- win probability you added if you make a decision or not. Two, I hate that no one on that freaking thing debated him. Like, yeah. everyone on there was like, yep, sure, agreed, analytics, the, the enemy, like the boogeyman. Anyway, that clip's ridiculous. It's like, how are you in 2021 when this is – prevalent and i'd say at least half of nfl coaching decision decisions nfl coaches about half the coaches in the league make this decision correctly yeah. like more than correctly but like use this use this line of thinking to make this decision how are you like decrying it as incorrect without anyone having the explanation and he even says on that panel i don't care what the explanation is it's like why? Care the explanation that doesn't is. make any well, sense. Uh, yeah, and and the fact that he says he wants to hear people like answer for it. Jim Harbaugh, or excuse me, John Harbaugh, goes up and says, "I want to know as soon as possible if we have to get two or if we have to get one next time." Yeah, like he, that's that is all it is. It's not really even. This isn't even like a difficult like analytically based discussion. And like we said in the game recap. The exact scenario played out. They didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So they had to get an onside kick and knew they had to get an onside kick. So they scored quickly then, again, and then they got the onside kick. If they go and get the field goal after that, 
That is the scenario where they win that game because of that decision. Yeah. Instead of if they if they don't make that decision and wait, they probably I mean they obviously still lose the game. So it's it's a very easy point to grasp that people still stick their head in the sand over. Let's move quickly to these other fun reads. Booker had a 10 tweet thread about some notes from the NFL. And And the 10th one was, and his his 10th one was incredible. Yeah. As great as Joe Burrow is, I know we got on the screen and he is that should the offense go through Joe Mixon a tad more. I just wonder what that would look like. Have you not just, have you not been watching this game, but have you not watched them the entire season? Like they are, they give Joe Mixon is the offense on early downs. Like he is the, they go through him more than they should by a fucking country mile. That's insane for him to say that. I don't know why he would still, is it because he didn't have a ton of yards yesterday? Like, why would you even like, I don't know. You just definitely did not probably watch the game. I mean, that has to be a factor. I mean, he probably just looked at how many total carries he had and just thought that I need to see, I need to see like the box score he saw. But that was pretty brutal. Prompted that. I also, I threw in a, I threw in a bonus fun to read here right before the show because it, it was just tweeted out, and it was too good to add. And it was Chris Sims who said this after having digested the Bills box game yesterday. At this point, the precedent is that MVP goes to the QB with the best stats on the best team. And I get that. Tom Brady has a better MVP case than Josh Allen. But watching the Bills box game yesterday, you could tell Allen was the best QB on the field. That's insane. Man. You just could tell. You could just tell. He could tell because he's got – I mean, he was going through injury. Is it like the some success. of this like a grit thing? I could see it being like a grit factor. I'm not exactly certain. But like if you really try to give Josh Allen after some of the duds he's thrown mm-hmm. out there, the MVP this year, you're, you're grasping a little bit at straws. All right. On to the fun to watch watch. People just saying fun to watch is a non-take. Jim Nagy quote tweeting Brett Coleman. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Who is going to be this next? You know, Brett Coleman tweets out who's going to be this next safety, right? It's on the screen here. Who's going to be the next? This year's Javon Holland, Antoine Winfield, Buda Baker, Jim Nagy, director of the Senior Bowl says Baylor's Jalen Peter. Is it Petre? Petre. Petre. Urgent, versatile, and disruptive. At least he does that. Big 12 defense player of the year. One of the most fun to play, fun players to watch in the 2022 NFL draft. You love to see a non-take from Nagy. Next here, Pete Sweeney. Who is Pete Sweeney? Pete Sweeney is the editor-in-chief and lead Kansas City Chiefs writer at Arrowhead Pride. Nice tackle there by Willie Gay. Fun player to watch every single week. I agree with that. Willie Gay should be in the fun fun watch Hall of Fame. He is a fun player to watch. And then we had one more here from Dan Fetz. Dan Feetz. Dan Feetz is sports anchor reporter for 13 Wham. I think that's a radio station in Buffalo. Buffalo. I woke up today still thinking about three things. Holy shit. The Josh Allen experience is so much fun to watch. Why did the refs treat Stephon Diggs like a rookie? I still can't believe they punted. Wow. The Josh Allen experience. It's fun to watch. It's a fun to watch experience. It's fair enough. That is fair enough. And then I added this one because this one was like a corollary of the fun to watch. And this is from Brian Broaddus, who does radio in uh, Dallas. He's also a is, big draft guy. Who was a former uh, NFL scout, I believe. That's right. Um, he said, as we close this day, I just wanted to say, Charles Cross, often sacked from Mississippi, is a bad man on tape. Which like, bad man's not really a take. There's no. like a, there's like these words that people use for draft prospects. Like, no, he's a dude. He's a he's a bad man. He's a football player. That like, they they kind of elicit something in your mind mm-hmm. about the player. But I'm not sure they're actually takes or actually they could be used in, across a number of different people. Like OJ Simpson's a bad man. That's like an actual. That's who a bad man is. When <laughs> I think bad Christ. man. When I'm thinking of a football player. Bad man on a football field could then mean be anything, fucking anything. So we're gonna we're gonna be adding some of those some segments. I like with that. Those I have fun to watch corollaries because too. those are good ones. We got uh, not necessarily non takes on player evaluation, but similar like tried or tired tropes in social media. Mm-hmm. One hanging in the Louvre, hanging in the Louvre. I think we need to be retired. It's done. Like we've done it. We've seen it. It's great. Don't see it. Don't, you don't need to send it again. Two. This game is drunk. I feel like people tweet that out and like get like a minimum like 800 likes per and like I, it's, I'm over that. Know what I am very over that I saw yet again and I couldn't – I was just like how dumb is this? Changing someone's Wikipedia page. Oh, that's – That might be the least funny thing to do nowadays. That's awful. Like someone changed the, the Raiders owner to Patrick Mahomes. 
Dude. It's a, a child, I hope, did that because yeah. it isn't funny. It isn't funny. I think who's stopping that offense, <laughs> who's stopping this offense is in that tier. But if you do it sarcastically, I think yeah. it's worth it. Sarcastically. Is, sarcastically, I kind of like it. But if you're – I think any serious movements with the who's stopping this offense, I think needs to be, needs to be killed. A couple yeah. more things here. Right. Rookie of the week, who do you got? Penny Sewell, 91.0, highest grade of his career. He has, since flipping back to right tackle, the, the early season drama has very much subsided. He has settled in. And has been, shit, dominant. Now the 16th highest grade tackle in the entire NFL. He's been sick this year. Very, very good of late. Honorable mention Quinn Miners, though. 79.9 overall grade. Didn't allow a single pressure against the Detroit Lions. That was that was fun to watch tape from them. Your, your blackout of the week was Alex Leatherwood, the right guard for the Las Vegas Raiders, former first-round pick, allowed nine pressures and earned the double bagel 0.0 pass blocking grade. Yeah, Chris Jones. Go back and watch that tape. That guy was... Out of terror. Yeah. Absolute terror for Kansas City. Well, Alex what the fuck's going on with Kansas City's defense right now? How are they the best defense in the NFL all of a sudden? <laughs> it doesn't like, make they sense. They are. They legitimately are the best defense in the NFL. Like, they were everywhere. They've had some in interesting turnover look, luck, though, lately, right? Well, like, lately, Like, yeah, recovering the Josh Jacobs thing. Foster Moreau had that catch, like, just, like, bopped up into a pick. I think they are benefiting from that. And then Living the pass just turned right, on. But, yeah, wild. Last part of the podcast here and it's absolutely phenomenal this is going to be a big big vote for like if you don't currently watch the podcast on youtube you should because this video is absolutely phenomenal i'm so glad it was your cake your pants moment of the week because it was also mine double brian kelly doing this recruiting video dance with one of the quarterbacks at lsu will go down as one of the fucking funniest things i've ever seen call baton rouge by garth brooks please quinn please bless the community with this thing Five star LSU commit Walker Howard. He's the one that tweets it out himself. Like, that it makes was no sense. Like, that makes no sense. It's obviously like a video you do on your recruiting trip or whatever, and it's cool uh, for like your own personal like PR, and you can tweet it out if you want to. And he decided that that was worthy of letting him and shit Brian Kelly get absolutely roasted. I'm on embarrassed by that video. I mean, Kelly looks like your dad dancing at a wedding. In that that was like the the you know how you see some of those recruiting things where they let their dad like dress up in the pads yeah like that was that level of cringe where it's like what are you doing Brian Kelly he His- threw the thumbs he did the Elaine thumbs there for a second <laughs> and then you know what would be great is if that that guy decommits that that, <laughs> yeah, that video will go video. viral again if he like goes to like you know wherever uh, like goes to a different school or whatever Brian Kelly continues to deliver content not in the same tier as Urban Meyer but he's entering a very very profitable tier for us from a content perspective that's gonna do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you turn into, tune in to the Wednesday episode. Going to go over my mock draft. We had an interview with Bruce Feldman of The Athletic. He offers some insight on the coaching carousel, transfer portal, etc. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.